You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 105 of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and joining me is Mikey Campbell. Hey, Mikey. What's up? We are going to talk all about Apple, iPod, iPad, Mac, and more. And starting off, I want to talk about what could happen with Touch ID. Touch ID is a favorite feature of all of the current iPhones. Uh, it's been on an iPhone since iPhone 5S. And it's, it's, it's going to change. I mean, it changed most recently on the iPhone 7, where instead of being a physical button, it's now just a part of the glass with a haptic engine behind it. But we, we've got, a, we've got a, a piece of news, a piece of, of, of information that says that it's going to change even more. Mikey, what's that about? So everyone's favorite analyst, Ming-Chi Kuo, is, yes, he's saying uh, Apple's going to, maybe not this next generation of iPhone, but some future generation, they're going to try to move away from Touch ID and go for a more hands-off solution. So probably facial recognition or iris recognition. So users don't even need to interact with the device at all to unlock it, but still have that same security. Well, now wait. So you're saying it's going to be two-step facial and fingerprint? Well, for first, I mean, okay. So that that's the the plan is to go full facial recognition, but in between, the, he's he's saying that there's going to have to be some sort of hybrid uh, before they get there because the facial tech is not. Um, it's not fully flushed out <clears throat> yet. So in between there, there's going to be some sort of uh, two-factor or uh, actually maybe not two-factor, but um, yeah, well, I don't know. It could be two-factor method of uh, securing your phone. So you're going to have to input the fingerprint and or your face. I would assume it would be one or the other Um but uh, the way he's saying is that you, you, you can't really rely on the facial uh, recognition tech right now, um, especially because Apple doesn't have any of those assets in place. It would take it would take a long time to build up the database and the uh, you know machine learning al- algorithms and the uh, computer vision stuff. So th- none of that is in place right now. So they're going to have to build that out first. And while they're doing that, they're going to you know maybe make a switch. Right, so there there are a lot of uh, barriers to this, right? One of them is, um, you know, software design that has to be changed for it, uh, the hardware component development that has to exist for it, the the creation of the database and backend, as you said, and and also to have all that running in device requires a lot of computing power. Yeah, I would assume uh, the facial recognition just to make it work would have to be offloaded. Um, well, it's interesting because there have been other phones that have had facial recognition in them that haven't really worked very well, but they've, they've had it. There have also been other laptops. Uh, Lenovo did this a few years ago where they used the webcam to try and unlock your Windows computer. Yeah. Well, the thing with those, uh, I mean, you can do it on device, obviously, right? I mean, it's there's software available that you can recognize someone's face. But to what degree? I mean, to use it as a security feature it will have to be, you know, very accurate. So it'll have to depend on a database that's pretty vast 
So I would assume that would be offloaded to an offsite server, but I mean, who knows? Well, you know that Apple would probably prefer to keep it in just because, in, in as opposed to offloading it because privacy. Yeah, but I mean, still they do the same thing with Siri, right? I mean, they offload pretty much everything um, that goes through Siri to an offsite server, <clears throat> and there's some you know potential for personal information to get out. Yeah. Now, why why wouldn't they just use eye scanning? Um. Well, Quo believes that they're leaning towards facial because they have a lot of uh, patents for facial recognition stuff. We've covered a lot of them, and we've also covered the iris stuff. But uh, it seems like the facial is a way to go. Uh, plus, they made all those purchases, right? A facial. Uh, I mean, they they bought Face Shift. Um, that small was it? I think it was a German company, right? Who uh, specialized in um, not facial recognition just pure vanilla facial recognition, but uh, facial recognition and um, face scanning technology for the, uh, for the uh, movie market. Okay. So the, the iPhone eight that this potentially could be in is a, a stainless steel glass sandwich with wireless charging, uh, a next generation 3d touch tech and potentially facial scanning. I would say not this round, maybe not even next year either. Um, so some future iteration. But what could make it into this year's iPhone is a is a optical touch ID, which which isn't really touch ID at all. Although they would probably name it touch ID. Um, but instead of you know the capacitive uh, scanning module that they have in there now, which requires the stainless steel ring to send, you know, a small current through your finger, it would, they'll go just to a pure optical solution that takes a scan of your, of your fingerprint. And he's saying that, you know, that would solve the problem of having a full face iPhone, uh, which Etched is screen, really, right? Yeah. So instead, you know, because right now what what they would have to do is have an edge edge screen and they'd have a huge hole in it at the bottom or wherever they want to put it to fit in touch ID or move it to the back of the device. But I don't think Apple would do that. Mm. So um, what he's saying is that they're uh, looking to do optical, which can be placed underneath the OLED screen. So it would be invisible to the user, but it would still be there. Um, but the problem for that is, of course, the problem. Um, the OLED manufacturers are going to have to custom make uh, or custom manufacture their their panels to accommodate this technology, either by uh, making the pixel width, you know, or pixel pitch near the uh, sensor a bit wider to um, accommodate the optical module, or by integrating it completely into the uh, laminated panel. So we'll see where that goes. That that could end up on the next, or on this year's iPhone, the uh, special edition one, as I like to call it. Uh-huh. We, wait, but we already have a special edition one. That's the small one. Uh, uh-huh. It's super special. Super okay. special. Okay. Talking about other things that are special, uh, do you use night shift mode on your iPhone? Yep. I have it set up every night. And what do you do for your computer? Um, nothing. I, I did use, uh, what was that third party app? Uh, I'm using it now. It's called flux. Yeah. Flux. I used to use that. I, I mean, I don't, I try to stay away from my computer at nighttime. I, I'd never do, but 
Um, <laughs> but yeah. it's not like I use my computer in bed, so it's uh, not really a problem for me. Well, you're you're kind of a desktop guy, right? You don't use a laptop, really. No, I use a laptop. Now you do. So so you just avoid bringing your laptop to bed. Yeah, yeah. That's very smart of you. Um, I I instead use the uh, Flux third party, although it looks like. I won't need to because in macOS Sierra, the 10.12.4 beta, it, it appears that there's a new night shift mode, which does just what Flux does, what night shift does on the iOS, which is they, they reduce the amount of blue light in the, uh, the screen as it's displayed because blue light is one of those things that fools your body into staying awake. Messes with your circadian rhythm, brah. Messes with your circadian rhythm. Actually messes also with your eyes for, for extended viewing periods. You know, if you ever look at the uh, the, the glasses that are oh, amber yeah. lenses for gaming. Yeah, the Gunnar. Yeah, the Gunnar glasses. They uh, they filter out the blue light as well. So yeah, a lot of the, some screen makers are making, um, I think my, I just bought a, a monitor from, uh, what is this? Oh, well, this is a, is a Asus. It has a low blue light mode. So, I mean, they, they're doing that too. The monitor market doesn't really work right. that well, but whatever. Well, so would you use this mode on your Macs? Um, probably not because I need, um, I mean, if I'm working, I need it to be, I need the color reproduction to be what other people are seeing at all times. Max, yeah. So probably not. But I mean, if I, if I, if my job was not to publish pictures and other such media to the, uh, to the masses, then I would probably use it. Yeah. Okay. I, I would definitely use it. Um, you know, if you're listening out there and you use your computer at night or in bed, uh, let us know and let us know if you use night shift on iOS, because I'm curious to see what the, the uptake or what the need is for this on the laptop. I know that I need it because I'm up all hours doing stuff and I have flux change it for me at night. But uh, I'm curious to know how many others of there are out there. Right. Do, you see, do you see a difference or can you notice, do you feel a difference in your body? Because well, I don't there's, know, the, there's the jury's out, problems, right? right? There's, there's a couple of problems. One of them is you're already staying up late. And anytime you're staying up late, you're essentially uh, creating a sleep deficit and you're, you're proving, you know, above all that, that you're able to stay awake as opposed to being productive. Mm. Your productivity drops off, but you're proving you can still stay up. Um, but I, I do find that once I do close the laptop after having had it open, I'm f able to fall asleep qu more quickly than if I'd had it uh, with, with its regular blue light displaying at me. Mm, interesting. Is that scientific? No, that's, that's anecdotal, but it's my experience. Interesting. You think it's a placebo effect? Uh, you know, I don't know, but I, I do know that I had this laptop reinstalled without it, without flux on it and was using it that way for a few months. And I, it took me regularly anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes to fall asleep and uh, closing it with, with flux running and having been running, I'm, I'm closer to 10 or 20. So there is a difference. Interesting. I cool. Think. Cool. Might have to try it out. I don't know. Yeah. Talking about features in betas, uh, tell me about iOS 10.3's beta. Oh, the, uh, find my AirPods, eh? Yeah. Well, first of all, do you have AirPods? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you worried about losing them? Um, not as much as I am worried about my cat eating it. 
So I'm less worried about losing it than it going inside an animal's stomach. Uh, because I don't would not be good. Yeah, I mean, when I whenever I take it out of my ear, I just put it right back in the case. It it's that's know, your it's, method for preventing it from getting lost. Really. I don't know. It's a, it's not something that I do consciously. It's just I feel like I don't know. That's just where they belong. But I mean, I can see people just taking it out and tossing it on the table or whatever. Uh, I was talking just to, to a guy about losing stuff, and he said that that he um, he always lost his pens, writing utensils. He always lost his pens until he bought a nice pen. And once he had a nice pen that he'd spent a lot of money on, yeah, he kept up with it just by virtue of of not wanting to lose it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So how does Find My iPod AirPods work? Um, so every time your AirPods connect or you know ping your host device, like an iPhone, the iPhone logs that location or wherever that location is for the iPhone, its own location, and creates um, kind of like a Bluetooth range, like an estimate of how far away your AirPods, AirPods could be. And plots that on the uh, Find My iPhone map. So you know the uh, Find My iPhone. Th- this feature is actually in Find My iPhone. Right. It's integrated <laughs> into the same app that we've had for quite a while. Yeah. So just like Apple Watch got integrated into that, now it's there's an AirPod uh, feature in there. So you go into the app. Uh, if if hopefully you linked it to a to a device that has iCloud. And if you did, then you'll see a little, a little line for AirPods and you can tap on that to see the last known location. Unless you're using it, then it'll just show up as wherever your iPhone is or wherever. Right. Now, if you lose them, can you play a sound on them? You can. Um, there's an option to, so if you, if you select play sound, um, at that point, you'll you'll probably not be connected to it, right? So, uh, it'll play a sound whenever you connect to it next. So, let's say you lost your like left earpod out when you're running somewhere. Um, you can walk to that area where they where it was plotted on the map, and then um, it should hopefully connect back up to your iPhone, and then it'll play a sound. It's not very loud, so I mean, if if you're doing it indoors. It's much, it's much better. Uh, but if you lose it when you're running or something, I would suggest only playing the sound at nighttime or whenever it's quiet. Low traffic hours or something. Yeah. Because yeah. it also and, diminishes the battery, right? Uh, right. Cool, because it's got to be connected to receive the signal to play, and it's got to be running full volume, so it yeah. uses battery to do that. It's actually a rising and falling tone, so it's kind of... It's a, it's a bit better than just playing like a solid tone. It's a bit more apparent, but um, still, it's it's pretty quiet. So better the other nothing. problem is is the range on them is quite good, right? Yeah. So as I mentioned in the uh, – we did like a short hands-on kind of thing. Um, depending on the W1 chip, it could be like – you could be searching an area that's like a couple hundred square feet. So tough to, uh, easy to connect, but tough to find if you are looking in a bunch of, bunch of, like, bunch of stuff inside or maybe even like outdoors on a road or in a forest. I don't know, wherever you run. 
Yeah, I'm. I'm just thinking. Uh, what's your advice besides using this, which is probably a good idea? Do you think that you're going to put the, uh, the the neck strap that keeps the two AirPods tied together on yours? No, because if I wanted to do that, I'd buy the Beats <laughs> headphones. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I bought it because it's uh, completely untethered, so I can use one at a time if I want to. All right. And not have uh, you know not have the other one dangling. Yeah. But so I'll take the chance. If I, if, take I the chance. if I lose one, I'll have to pay the $60 to replace it. Yeah. But you're not going to lose them because a, you put them right back in your case and, yeah. and B, you know, you take care of these things. Right? Yeah. Well, p- part of the, part of the putting it back in the case is the case is charges it. So, I mean, it's kind of uh, intuitive to do that. Um, so I don't know. I think most people put it back in the case. Unless they, you know, take it out for running and leave the case at home, just come home and plop it down somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. Pretty cool. Well, I want to take a moment and talk about Casper mattresses. Uh, Neil has this mattress, and, and I've thought about getting one. It's, a, it's an obsessively engineered mattress. They, they even show them at CES, the electronics show, for crying out loud, at a, a really fair price. It's, it's a supportive memory foam that creates an award-winning sleep surface with just the right amount of sink and the right amount of bounce. And Time Magazine thought it was one of the best inventions of 2015. And you can try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. Free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. With over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, it's, it's really quickly the uh, become the Internet's favorite mattress. And you, our listeners, can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash insider and using the offer code insider. Terms and conditions may apply, but Neil loves his. So if, if you uh, don't enjoy your current bed, please consider trying out a Casper. Now, Mikey, we were talking about this before we started recording. Um, Roger wrote this story about a iPhone-compatible spectroscopy chip called the NeoSpectra Micro that is, has been demonstrated in an iPhone case. Yeah. So you put your iPhone in this case, and then with this special chip, it can analyze food and drinks for things like caffeine, gluten levels. Um, it could conceivably be built into wearables. You could scan for things like your, your glucose levels without having to, to, to uh, lance yourself. What, what's, what's the theory behind this article that we wrote? The theory? Yeah. What's, is, what's, the theory is that Apple is going to include this in a future Apple Watch. Okay. So why do we think that could happen? Well, uh, Apple wants Apple Watch to be much more than it is. It, they want it to be the health device. They don't want it to be the fitness device that it is now and that they're well, pushing well, so hard for now. Wait, wait. I, I got to ask because the first time they released Apple Watch, it was very much about health. Mm. You agree? Yeah. Yeah. And, and with this release of Watch 2, it's been all refocused around physical fitness and athleticism. Right. right. Am, am I still right? Yep. Yeah. So you're saying that with this refocus, that's not their eventual path. That's not what they really want. I think they really want it to be a health device. I mean, there was the report that came out, uh, when was it? a few months ago talking about how the watch was not born of its own. It, it was born because of 
Apple's you know, shift in focus to health uh, solutions like HealthKit. It was born from that effort. So it was kind of an ancillary um, invention that they made so they can uh, you know, push forward their health initiative. So having a fitness tracker, I mean, that's fine, but uh, you know, for a, a holistic uh, health tracking, is much more than a pedometer and uh, stuff like that, you know, and um, care kit apps. You want something that is monitoring your body and biometric signals at all times when, uh, you know, a watch is good for that. But the technology is just not there. Plus the fact that they have to go through um, a whole bunch of regulatory uh, hurdles, especially in the U.S., to getting a health device out there. So um, first step, you get the device out there to however hundreds of thousands or millions of consumers, depending on what stats you're looking at. Next step, you know, creating a, or turning that device into a full-fledged health tracker and not just a fitness tracker. Um, and this chip, while I don't think they'll include the specific piece of hardware. They'll probably do something, you know, something that they created, like, you know, like they created their own, uh, pulsometer or pulse oximeter. Um, uh, no, they don't have pulse ox in this, in the Apple watch. Uh, they have, they have heart rate, but they don't have pulse ox. What do they call it? It's not a pulse ox. What do they call it? They're, they're not the, measuring your oxygen levels by shining light through your skin. They're measuring the heart rate. And and it is that special technology with the green LEDs, but it's not. Okay. So spectroscopy is the, the science of analyzing wavelengths absorbed and emitted by materials. So you can kind of understand their chemical composition based on what the wavelength looks like, what's what's reflected, what's absorbed. And this particular chip that we've been talking about is an 18 by 18 millimeter chip, which sounds pretty small, but is in fact pretty substantial when you look at the size of the Apple watch, mm -hmm. you know, the Apple watch is 38 millimeters. And this thing is, is, uh, takes up quite a bit of that. Let's say it would replace the, it would, it would completely replace the heart rate monitor on the bottom. It would have to, or be fully integrated into it, like perhaps behind it. I don't know. Yeah. But the way the uh, heart rate sensor is, it already has the uh, the four or the two LED emitters and two receivers. So I don't know. Well, and this particular chip costs a hundred dollars, it seems. So it's it's probably also impractical to integrate into um, current devices at that price. But as you say, it, it looks like there's going to be more sensors coming. And uh, mm -hmm. do, do you think they'll, we'll see that anytime soon? Do you think we'll see that in something like a third generation watch? Probably not. From what I hear, the third gen is just going to be thinner. And Faster processor, better battery life? Maybe not better battery life, but, uh, but thinner. All right. Maybe a, a, maybe a couple gen, a couple years. A couple, couple years. years. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. So let's let's talk a little bit about Qualcomm. Uh, Apple started a relationship with Qualcomm as far back as the iPhone 4 when they made the first iPhone that worked on CDMA networks. Uh, 
And they went to Qualcomm at that time because Qualcomm owns all the patents on CDMA cell modems. Right. So it made good sense for that. Now, Qualcomm and Apple are, are embroiled in a deep lawsuit, in a big, big lawsuit. Multiple. What, multiple what, what, tell, tell, tell me about these multiple lawsuits. What's, what's going on here? Uh, well, Apple's saying that the Qualcomm is extorting its customers by uh, a whole slew of kind of shady business practices. Like they won't sell you components unless you license the, uh, <clears throat> the supposedly standard essential patents first. And they're not charging uh, friend rates for the patents that they do license. Um, and they have like, they, they have secret deals with uh, secondary manufacturers who, which Apple buys the actual chips from. So what basically Apple's basically Qualcomm's business model is they'll license the IP to uh, contract manufacturers, small, smaller companies. Then Apple buys the chips from them as well as licenses, licensing the uh, SEPs at the same time. Uh, they'll be paying for those. So rates, that's paying right? twice for the same license, basically. Yeah, but the problem is Apple can't. Apple's not seeing um, what patents or how much these uh, contract manufacturers are paying Qualcomm. So because the agreements are secret and Qualcomm will not license those patents directly to Apple. So basically Qualcomm is charging exorbitant rates, supposedly, according to Apple, to these CMs. And then the CMs are passing those fees along to Apple because Qualcomm knows Apple can pay it. So they won't right. deal with them directly and a now, bunch of other things. So. Now what's so, so Apple is asserting that it's, it's uh, price gouging and extortion and more because Qualcomm is the only one that can provide the, uh, this IP. Right. Right. And, and Qualcomm and is they're, saying they're alleging this double dipping. Yeah. And Qualcomm is saying that this is not a regulatory issue because uh, Apple's bringing friend rates, which is a regulatory issue. So that's that that stands for fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory. Yes, right. That's that's basically saying that when you license a patent, you're not paying an exorbitant rate for it. Or well, more specifically, standard essential or stand, patents that are deemed standard essential. So okay. those are the patents that are that um, you know cover things like like well, wireless frequencies and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So the stuff that Qualcomm owns or developed. So they should be licensing that at friend rates but they are supposedly not yeah and apple is is saying this and and qualcomm's coming back and saying basically apple just wants to pay less right and they're making a regulatory issue out of a you know an issue that should stay between businesses and they're also alleging that apple is feeding uh information to a bunch of regulatory agencies around the world, including the U.S. and China and South Korea, um, where the the latter of which Qualcomm just got slapped with a pretty hefty, I think, three hundred fifty four million dollar fine for unfair business practices related to their uh, uh, licensing. Uh, the the Korean Fair Trade Commission leveled an eight hundred fifty four million. Yeah. So, uh, but but so where where did this one billion in unpaid license rebates come in? Because that Apple well, says that's what's triggering the the suit here. 
Okay, so so to make up for, not make up for. So Qualcomm charges you for exclusivity to certain SCPs, and then they will pay you back, or pay Apple back in this case. And they withheld that uh, rebate because supposedly, Apple says, the Apple cooperated with the, um, the KFTC. So, I, I mean, the, uh, the this, this sounds like a bad high school spat. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's in Apple's best interest, obviously, to get um, the best what, rates. Um, well, well, first of all, it's in their best interest to get the best rates. And second of all, are you going to not cooperate with the Korean Free Trade Commission? Yeah, well, be, beyond that, the con- they mean the uh, the uh, contracts that they have with Apple uh, with Qualcomm specify that they obviously can talk to trade bodies and regulatory agencies. Um, it's specifically noted in there. So uh, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird thing. I think, I don't know. I, I feel like, I mean, Qualcomm's license, IP practices have been kind of sketchy in the past and the FTC is already investigating or they did investigate and have its, has its own lawsuit against uh, Qualcomm that was, I think, revealed two weeks ago. So Qualcomm has been, their practices have been questioned many times in the past. So Apple's just kind of piling onto that. Yeah. Does this have anything to do with Apple using Intel modems instead of Qualcomm modems in the iPhone? Um, well, since Qualcomm hasn't really, well, I mean, it could, it could. They didn't really, they didn't specify that in the, uh, in the suit. They didn't say that. You know they're withholding these that this one nearly one billion dollars in rebates because we're div- diversifying our supply chain, but um, ironically, it could blow up in their face, and Apple you know could diversify even further and negotiate better rates at the same time from Qualcomm. So Qualcomm could be the big loser here. We don't know, and that's probably why they took up like I don't know almost half of their earnings call yesterday talking about the uh, various lawsuits that are floating no. around now. Well, that's that's not the only one, right? Yeah, there's uh, two in China basically asserting the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. We'll see. Seems like Apple has upper hand, but Qualcomm is saying that they'll file a countersuit, of course. And um, in the meantime, they'll still honor their agreements with the uh, contract manufacturers so Apple can have their CDMA modems. Well, it's, it's kind of a good thing for Qualcomm to do that because if, if they, uh, you know, I don't know the terms, but if they're licensed based on uh, every device sold that's equipped with it, then they want to keep those devices going so that the amount keeps increasing. Right. Well, Qualcomm's contracts are technically with the contract manufacturers, and then Apple buys the components from those manufacturers. So they're really upholding their end of the bargain with the CMs. But of course, they make lots of money from that because Apple buys the premium. They buy a lot, don't they? Yeah, they, they, they buy quite a bit. Just a few. So Apple's also being sued along with an ad agency that they used over a voice sample used in an iPhone 6 TV commercial. Mm. Um, there was a, a commercial for the iPhone 6, which is, of course, now a two-year-old phone, um, that had a sample of a 70s group called The Persuasions that was used inside a song by Jamie XX that was uh, – and I sure hope I'm pronouncing that right because I'm not that much of a fan. <laughs> not a fan? 
I, I, you know, he's a fine artist. He's a Grammy nominated uh, artist for the album in colors, but I am not a listener. Uh, but at any rate, the track takes samples from the persuasion song, good times, which was used in the Apple commercial. And I would have thought just on the face of this, right? It's, it's 2017 laws around music licensing and sampling were pretty well figured out by now. You would think wrong, sir. Well, no, I would actually, I would be correct because the detail is that this suit is not about sampling. This suit is about a California right called the right to publicity, where Californian law says that uh, if, if your voice or your signature or photograph or likeness is used knowingly mm-hmm. to sell something without that person's prior consent, then, then that, that person who used that voice or signature is liable for damages sustained. Interesting and sounds highly subjective, but well, uh, obviously the lawyers get to work that out with the, with the judge, but basically someone can't take your face or your music and go and use it without your consent. Uh, where when you're licensing music, you can, you just pay the Harry Fox agency and pay, you know, pay the licensing fees. Um, you don't have to get consent here. You do. And, uh, and so that's what their claim is about, at least in part. The other part of the complaint is that, uh, it, that, that a lot, there was a violation of collective bargaining agreements with Screen Actors Guild and the American Federation of Television Radio Artists which allows separate bargaining with singers over commercial licensing. I wonder how they would basically do that, saying though. he didn't get paid enough. I wonder so how first they of all, would, he didn't uh... get paid enough because they used his voice without permission. Hmm. And second of all, he didn't get paid enough under the, uh, the, the screen actors guild and, and radio artists. I wonder how they would negotiate the fees for just a California, since it's a California, uh, policy. Well, just where it aired in California. I mean, they the way they'd have to do it is they'd have to look at the music and identify who was on the sample, and then contact that person and agree to pay them ahead of time, as opposed to just producing it and going with it and paying the licensing through, like I said, one of the agencies. But how much? I wonder. Well, Lawson's complaining that he's injured by more than ten million dollars. Oh, wow. Because his, here's I wish what my he voice was worth ten million dollars. Yeah, my voice is also not worth ten million dollars yet. But what he's saying is that um, fans of the Persuasions might recognize his voice within this sample of the Jamie XX song, and conclude that the Persuasions and and the singer are endorsing Apple, mm. when that clearly isn't true. Mm. You know why I bought my iPhone? Why did you buy your iPhone? Because a uh, a group from the seventies endorsed it. There you go. Yeah. They were good, right? They were so good that when I saw them endorse the iPhone, I said, "Hey, I need to have that device." <laughs> well, absolutely. Um, and this is not the first time this kind of lawsuit has come up. Uh, there was another one last year against Google for uh, an advertisement that was done for their Nexus smartphones. And there was one against scripts for home and garden television, but both of those cases were dropped before a ruling could take place. And so the question is, will this one be dropped or will this one make it to a ruling? No, I doubt it. I mean, I'll probably settle uh, out of court for more than 10 million in damages. Not more than that. I'm sure. No, no. 
So in other news, Apple's Tim Cook has managed to cash in uh, another chunk of company stock. Mm-hmm. Now, he's, he's done this a couple of times in the past couple of weeks. So this is the second time. Uh, just a few days ago, he cashed in Apple shares worth $3.6 million. And then he sold another batch in an almost identical amount. Yeah. Well, it's important to note that these were planned sales from yeah. 2015. So it's not like he's saying, my God, the ship is going down. I need to... I, Surprise, I need to bail. I need to bail everything. Sell it all. Yeah. So these were uh, planned sales um, according to his whatever sell-off plan, whatever his uh, obligations were. So... Um, this was decided two years ago, almost. So, I mean, yeah, it's a sell-off and he did, he did get docked the, uh, not really docked, but he did get, uh, he missed out on the performance bonus. For and how big list. was that bonus, Mikey? Um, I don't know. How big was it? 1.5 billion million yeah. dollars. Yeah. Not, not a lot. So, so he missed out on 1.5 million because Apple had slower iPhone sales and, and managed only a net sales of uh, 215.6 billion. Yeah, which so, was short of the goals. So sad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the the well, the entire executive team got missed out on that. So all the SVPs. Um, but. I, this is not in response to that. Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't read too much into it. Right. And, and despite that, those, those results, uh, Tim Cook is scheduled to receive another batch of 700,000 vested restricted stock units. Right. As per his payment, uh, plan from 2011 or whatever. Yeah. And that's, that's going to come about in, uh, 2021. So if, if uh, Tim Cook is still in charge of Apple in 2021 and we're all still here on planet Earth in 2021, yep. he'll receive that batch at that time. Yep. And he has a chance to make even more money with performance uh, performance goals, which seem to be back on track for the uh, holiday quarter, at least. Yeah. So this this should not inspire any crazy rumors, right? This shouldn't say that Johnny Ive is retiring because obviously this was planned. Um, this this shouldn't tell us that there's going to be a red MacBook and it's going to be apocalyptically bad. Uh, this yes, shouldn't tell us that the Mac coming back is a cube. Mac no, mm, like cube. You like that one? Um, yeah. Th- this isn't an indicator that Apple is doomed, right? No. It's just business as usual. The, uh, I mean, it's so just then why, odd, why um, did it happen just a few days before earnings? Um, just, it's just coincidence that it happened. I mean, it, it's, uh, they do it so people don't create rumors. Um, or, you know, but in Apple's case, it's not, doesn't really work out that way. Um, so they usually do these planned sales because they don't want to stoke investor fears. But uh, as you say, this has been planned for a long enough period of time. It could just be tax planning, right? Yeah. Yeah. For, uh, I mean, a lot of it, uh, sometimes it is usually, well, not usually, sometimes it is because, um, you know, they get paid so much in uh, 
restricted stock units that vest, they have to pay taxes on that and they have to sell a certain amount of shares, blah, 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 um, that are withheld from them. But those are usually, uh, those usually, usually vest at the same time when they, when the, uh, RSUs vest. So this is a slightly different. Okay. So following this news, Tim Cook is left with 979,809 shares of Apple stock worth uh, more or less about 117.6 million. That's pretty good. Pretty good. It's a nice pocket change. Yeah. It's going to his uh his uh, nephew, right? Some of it I, at least. I don't know. I believe he did. He said that at one point. Okay. Well, Good for good for him and good for his nephew, if that's the case. Uh, Mikey, this, this is another wonderful episode of the Apple Insider Podcast, and it's blown past us. Where can people find you on the internet? At appleinsider.com and at MikeyCampbell81 on Twitter. I'm your host, Victor, and I'm at vmarks on Twitter. And if Apple brings back a, uh, a cube computer, we'll be sure to tell you all about it on the Apple Insider Podcast.